It's not much of a secret that I have a home field apparel problem. Even before we started this show, I couldn't even step foot on a new college campus without making sure there was something from that school's home field collection waiting on my porch when I got home. So we are, understandably, over the moon to partner with home field this season to keep Pitt fans comfy, cozy, and stylish at a fraction of the price by using promo code LOYALSUNS for 15% off your next order. This discount applies site-wide, and with unique vintage collections for every school from Pitt to Bama, Jackson State to Colgate, Michigan, Marshall, Marquette, and both Miamis, there's something for every fan. So whether you're buying for a Pitt fan or for a loser freak, use promo code LOYALSUNS at homefieldapparel.com to save big on your next order. Each code applies once per email address, so get those work emails and burners ready. That's homefieldapparel.com. Hello and welcome back to the Loyal Suns show. That's at the Loyal Suns on all the social medias. Follow us there. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts for pit sports content you won't want to miss. If you love transfer quarterbacks and hate our track record with them, this is the place for you. The Loyal Suns show, a safe, sunshiny place for your pit athletics fix. Brought to you by Section Five. I'm Dylan, I'm here with my co-hosts David and Squid, and we are back after a bit of a hiatus. We took, uh, we recorded a week before Christmas, and then the holidays come around, and before you know it, we're about three weeks or so without an episode, so good to be back with you boys. Yeah, there's always a debate about uh, rust versus rest, and I think everyone's going to find out in about 10 seconds which uh, side of that coin we fall on, so... It's good to be back. We quickly went from having basically no pit news to all of the pit news in a matter of a few days. So it's coming at a perfect time. Yeah, we didn't miss much, but we were we were trying to lay out an episode this week and uh, we thought of some really fun BS filler. But then avalanche of stuff. Yeah, yeah, we've got some... Coaches gone, some commits coming in, uh, a few of our former players finding new destinations, and then some basketball talk we want to get to. But we're gonna we're gonna start off with football. Uh, there's some stuff fresh on the mind here. Some pretty big personnel moves in the world of the pit football program. Um, I I, I want to get started with the coaches situation, and then and then we'll get to the players. But um, Pitt actually had three offensive position group coaches fired or let go or parted ways with this past week. Uh, That's Tim Salem, Andre Powell, and Coach Borbs with the offensive line. Three of Narduzzi's longest standing assistants. They've they've been guys who've been around for a long time. Uh, Tim Salem, big Mountain Dew guy, flat Mountain Dew guy. Uh, big recruiter, Andre Powell, obviously, running backs and special teams, and then Borbs with the O-linemen. 
these are guys who were a staple of the Pitt football program and Narduzzi or whoever helped him make the decisions uh, finally decided that they needed some, some new blood on that side of the ball. Let, let me start by asking this. Were any of you surprised by the changes that were made this past week? Sort of, but it was also overdue at the same time. Like, I didn't know if it would actually yeah. ever happen. I feel like there was a small chance that Narduzzi would be like, look, I'll change offensive coordinators as much as I need to, but I'm going down the ship. I'm going down with the ship with my guys. Like, as long as I'm here, Salem Powell will be here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these were guys who won an ACC championship two years ago and still somehow maybe managed to overstay their welcome in the two subsequent years. Yeah. I don't know if I was all that shocked when I saw the news announced. Uh, I'd, I'd say if any of them, I thought maybe Salem might be able to stick around despite the tight end room in, in Pittsburgh being pretty lackluster. Uh, I don't want to say talent wise, but, but performance wise. And at times that, that room was not the deepest pool of talent. Um, he, he was a big recruiter for Pitt in, in the offense. You know, he's, he's a guy who helped land Izzy Abanacanda, mm. um, probably countless other guys Kenny pick I mean I'm not gonna go through the list of names here but uh, he was a big recruiter for Pitt so that was one that I was like maybe they his his ability on the recruiting trail keeps him around but also I mean we've seen back-to-back seasons of Gavin Bartholomew being underused uh you know let me know if you've heard that one before on the show but it's not not super surprised but yeah, it, it it signals that this off season there there was a clear message to be sent about about the offensive side of the football. Yeah, I, and you you kind of hit on it there. Um, he was a great recruiter at every position, but the group that he coached. We had one good year of tight end play since almost since Narduzzi, you know, came to Pitt, and I. Turbo will always be a legend. We're always going to remember him fondly, but he was a 62-year-old guy, you know, probably heading into the twilight of his coaching career. The offense needed new juice, and I just kind of think that everybody associated with Gavin Bartholomew's lack of production the last two years might have at least partially deserved to be shown the door. But I, I, I will say what I'm not hearing from you two guys here today right now is a lot of defense of the other two guys who were shown the door. The running backs have been good, but I don't think that's because of anything Andre Powell has done. I think Pitt will always recruit running backs well, and they'll always perform pretty well here. His special teams... How many times have we yelled, like, what on earth is even that? It's like <laughs> high school level mistakes, like guys getting lined up wrong, being offsides, like teaching I mean, a punter I... how to catch the ball and punt the ball away. I don't know. The special teams butcher job the last few years alone should have 
had Powell out of here, but yeah, I, I mean, know. I think he oversaw two of the most frustrating position groups within this program. You know, Absolutely, you, special teams. You touched on squid. I mean, we we had the debacle of having three different punters two years back, and then this year having a punter who decided every other kick was going to go fifteen yards, and then I mean, we've had how many discussions on this show? Like, if we're ranking like most common topics on this show, use of running backs, it has to be in the top three. Whether it was absolutely, whether it was Izzy and Vincent Davis, whether it was Rodney Hammond and the stable of guys behind him this year, I mean, it's it's just kind of always been a little bit puzzling about what the decisions were were and what what was going into those decisions to play certain guys. So yeah, um, I'm not going to sit here and say that any of us are more qualified to coach football than a guy who's been around the game for his entire life and has been coaching in the profession for decades. Yeah. And that's we're, one of those where it's like that with everything we talk about here today. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, What obviously not we're three fans of the podcast, but I, I think we can have an opinion, but three fans, take anybody, fans of the team. Yeah. You could take anyone out of the stands and put them on the sideline and be like, yeah, I'm playing this running back like 80% of the time. It, it's just so confusing as to why that was even, the case so there's definitely some questionable philosophies we'll leave it at that yeah the more i think about it if you look at the full body of work for the three gentlemen fired they were all like pretty below average coaches relative to their position and relative to the level of football Pitt is playing that were kind of bailed out and therefore had a very favorable image among Pitt fans because they had like one great year each. Like Lucas Kroll might've bailed out Tim Salem with the 2021 season. Izzy probably bailed out at least in recent member memory pal in the 2022 season. And then the offensive line in 2021 made it seem like we had actually been rec- recruiting and developing offensive linemen. Well, and I mean, obviously in the early Narduzzi years, There's more guys you can throw in, but I'm talking about like very recent memory and college football now more than ever is a, what have you done for me lately sport? We just named a lot of critique of these coaches. They all had something that they were pretty good at, but these are like 65 year old dudes. If you've been at the same place for nine years, you might want to just change things up just to change things up because the same old stuff isn't working anymore. And if you can't replace Tim Salem, Dave Borbley, and Andre Powell, you've got problems. Yeah. Yeah, and I think really what it comes back to is just wanting that change of identity on that side of the ball. Uh, Some new age, new college football type of offense that wants to be run. And like we said, these guys are all in their 60s. And I mean... Thank you for your service, each of you. Heroes. They were they were part of a staff that brought Pitt an ACC championship, brought Pitt 20 wins in two seasons, and then we, we saw that stinker of last season. So I, I appreciate those guys and what they did for the program. I know a lot of players will speak really highly of those guys. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's just time to move on. Need some fresh blood, and maybe they just need um, a new environment, fresh scene, and they'll they'll thrive at their next spot. Can we can we talk about 
the implications of all this. We we've spoken we spoke after the hiring of Cade Bell about what a shocking about face that was from Pat Narduzzi. For him to be continuing to walk the walk, getting the staff younger, taking seriously what was wasted the last two years with bad offensive play and bad offensive decision making. Um, you know, for him to walk in and fire three good buddies of his, like guys he's been working with forever to try to get the staff younger and get some fresh ideas in there. Are, are we seeing a new Pat Narduzzi? I am curious and I would love to find out whatever room I could sneak my way into to, to overhear some conversations, how much of this is Narduzzi's decision-making and how much of this is pressure from above him uh, with Heather. Like, I wonder if there's just some agreements in place. If you want to stick around here and if we want to move forward doing this thing, uh, you've got to make some decisions that, that we want to have a hand in. And that's, we want to get younger on offense. We want to, we want to freshen things up. Obviously the debacle we saw last year cannot happen again. Um, I would love to think that this is Narduzzi saying, having a look in the mirror moment this off season, or probably sometime around week five or six and saying that this isn't working. And if I want to stick around here and keep winning, Something's got to change. Um, but I, I, I'm curious what you guys think. Do you think this is all Narduzzi's doing? I lean towards yes. I don't envision Heather Like is the type to say you have to fire these staff members. I do think she's probably like, Pat, you do what you want, but this is on you. If you want to keep your buddies around, you're going to go down with them. You want to keep this job or do you want to keep coaching with your buddies? So I feel like that is abundantly clear. And Narduzzi's pivoted quickly in the past. Whenever things don't go right, I think he realizes it. But what does he do to rehire that position? Does he bring in another old guy of his, another buddy, buddy, Frank Signetti, Yinzer? I, not, but it seems like we're going full 180 now. I agree with Squid. I think it makes more sense it's coming from Narduzzi because what kind of leverage would Heather like have in that situation? Because his buyout's pretty big, isn't it? I mean, if yeah. he's as if he's as stubborn as we've been saying he is for the uh, entire run of this podcast, and his boss comes to him and says, "Hey." fire all your buddies and also I get to help make decisions because I don't trust you anymore. Do you think he'd say, yes, ma'am, let's get that new offensive staff in. Like we're a passing football team now, go, go, go. Or is this character we've drawn of Pat Narduzzi more inclined to say, how much is my buyout again? And how many millions have you paid me in the last 10 years? With how much we've paid him, he could buy, Whatever the mayor's house in Youngstown, he could buy every house in Youngstown, go back home, retire, play bocce every day for the rest of his life. He doesn't have to keep coaching if he doesn't want to, but he wants to be here. 
and and so obviously i i that would make me inclined to believe that you know dues brought a lot of this out himself yeah uh, i mean he's almost 60 right right yeah, yeah. so yeah i i don't disagree with you guys um i also think he probably could have just looked at the results of the season and been like okay this was very bad if we do the exact opposite of what we did did this past year then that should probably be good or close to it so i'm hoping that's what he did here uh they kind of cleaned house only position coach they kept around was taekwon underwood which i think is a great decision i don't think he should have been sent packing um so i'm glad they were able to keep him around for recruiting purposes for coaching those guys up i mean he's he's shown that i mean he brought some amount of continuity yeah some amount of continuity and i think it'll be interesting to see how they fill these spots is it going to be a bunch of Cade Bell's guys from Western Carolina. I believe they already made a hire or discussing making a hire of a. I, I think it's just rumors at this point. Rumors. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see how they fill that in. Where do these guys fill in from? Um, it's exciting for me to at least see. It, it gives us reason to believe that next year can be different. Obviously, hiring Cade Bell, I already felt that way, but seeing as the program is clearly trying to go in a completely different direction uh, with identity, with with how they're going to play on offense, uh, gives you something to look forward to. It's very convenient timing for that 2024 season tickets email to go out and hit my inbox last week. They know what they're doing. That they do. That they do. They ain't no dummies. Um, Pivoting here a little bit, talking about things to get excited for. How about Pitt lands their transfer portal quarterback. Eli Holstein, the Alabama transfer, former four-star recruit, uh, sat a year at Alabama this past year, buried on the depth chart as four and five stars typically are in that program. And he decides to commit to play for Pat Narduzzi, Cade Bell, and the Pitt Panthers. So immediate thoughts, reactions, Complaints. <laughs> Give it to me, David. Uh, <laughs> Listen, you you tell me four star from Alabama that was scouted and and rubber stamped by Nick Saban. That that's that's enough to make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. You tell me. Pitt found a transfer quarterback that they swear by and are, are going to bring him in and throw some NIL money at him. Kills all the butterflies that were circulating in my digestive track. Man, I, I am so snake bit. I refuse to get excited about another transfer quarterback, especially one that is not a clear upgrade over our current quarterback situation. So, um, Pencil me in for a big question mark. Squid? This is very different than the last two transfer quarterback debacles we had. Last year, we were like, yeah, Phil Jerkovic is an injury-prone guy who failed at his old job and is bailing for a new job. He was a four-star five years ago. 
Eli Holstein was like a top 10 quarterback prospect like one year ago. He's got a lot of eligibility left. This isn't a rental. He will be in the quarterback room. He'll be learning Cade Bell's offense for hopefully a couple of years. I think this is a great decision. I am not going to sit here and think that Eli Holstein will be a great quarterback. He could suck like 85% of the transfer quarterbacks do. It's very possible, but the way I look at it is we got to get quarterbacks somehow. The high school route hasn't not given working. us much. The last two years, we got Ty Diefenbach and Julian Duggar, who, if you like him or not, he had one power five offer in this pit. So we're, we're not getting the big boys. We've actually lost out on a lot of big boys. Mm-hmm. Each year, we've been this close to a, a four-star Elite 11 guy. And the last minute, some bigger school swoops in and takes him from us. So we're getting a guy like that one year removed. Sign me up. I'd love to get a be the next team that gets a Michael Penix or Bo Nix, but we are not there right now. We just did three wins. Take your former highly rated transfer quarterback and be happy for now. Yeah, I what I think the the thing here that I I want Pitt fans to remember is or or think about it in this way is Holstein by and large was high more highly rated than Kenny Minchie was. And when Kenny Minchie decommitted, it was the end of the world. And now we just landed an upgrade in terms of recruiting rankings. So it, it kind of points out how funny and stupid recruiting rankings can be, uh, especially with quarterbacks. I think quarterbacks is, is probably the toughest to really evaluate. Oh yeah. And, and if this guy would have committed and come here as a freshman last year, there probably would have been, half the fan base calling for him to start by week three. So I'm, I'm excited. And I like the, I like the addition with the caveat that as long as they didn't tell him before he committed that the starting job was his. Yes. Yes. Dylan. I, I have no issue with Eli Holstein. There is absolutely no downside to getting this four star, 19-year-old, take him from Nick Saban's depth chart and develop him, and one day he might be like an absolute, you know, killer of a starter. But what worries me is Pitt's history of going out, getting a flashy quarterback transfer, paying him a ton of money, and then playing him despite not being the best quarterback on the roster because... Well, we told him we would, and we already paid him. Like, the check is cashed. I don't think there's any the pit aspect worries me of that. Not the Eli aspect, the pit aspect. That would suck, and that does happen. But I think there's like a 0% chance that happened because Nate Arnell looked pretty good down the stretch. So Pat Narduzzi is probably leaning towards him anyway. And also there's a new coordinator. It's like, dude. If Eli Holstein came up to Pat Narduzzi or whoever and said, look, I want to be the starter, he better say, dude, you played scout team for one year in college. Who do you think you are? We have a new coordinator coming in. If you look good, 
Everyone's in a level playing field right now. New coordinator, new system. Open season. Yeah, I think that's probably the more realistic conversation. Look, we had two guys. We have two guys coming back, uh, one of which we benched for the other, and the other really didn't blow us away. So you're coming in with a new OC. You're going to have an opportunity to compete for the starting job and probably also hear some money. So once again, like the move, and it's it's going to make for a very interesting training camp, spring and training camp with a with a three man race for the quarterback job. One last bit on Holstein. I just want to warn Pitt fans um, that you're probably going to come across, you know, scouting reports on him that are a little bit, even though he's never played a down of college football, you're going to come across scouting reports that pick him apart. I know I spooked myself when he entered the transfer portal and, uh, you know, I was name searching him on Twitter and saw some analytics that not analytics, some analysis that were, that was less than kind kitty get away. Um, but, but that's also also just because when you are a four star, when you are doing elite 11, when you are doing all these like camps and pro days, you're getting eyeballs on you that like Ty Diefenbach certainly wasn't. So don't read too much into the clippings. You know what? What on three or, or Bud Elliott or whatever, uh, even though Bud Elliott's pretty great. Um, you know, any of those guys that overanalyze have to say because this kid has been in a spotlight more than most quarterbacks will be. So just let the process play out and, you know, we'll see with our own eyes. I already looked pretty good as the scout team quarterback at Alabama, but great. Yeah. Screw about Elliot. Let me, let me rephrase that then. Um, Only listen to positive analysis. Correct. Okay. Got it couple other additions we'll talk that length with the whole scene we're not going to go as in depth with each of these other guys but since the last time we recorded um, I believe we mentioned that David Ojigba from the defensive end from Clemson would be committing or had committed uh, he was he was pretty early uh, some other names here Lyndon Cooper offensive lineman from NC State Jake Overman the tight end from Oregon State Raphael Williams from San Diego State via West Carolina. And I'm going to give this one off to David, uh, linebacker Keith Thompson from OU, while you're wearing the OU hoodie. Sorry, uh, Kitty was being a bad girl. Um, yeah, no, thank and if, you. If you're just turning tuning into the show for the first time, Kitty is uh, David's cat. So uh, Kitty Pickett? Yeah. And, and if you're not watching the YouTube video, that could, that could go a little off the rails if, if this is someone's first time listening. Yeah, gross. Uh, yes, please use her government name, Kitty Pickett. No, uh, okay. Key Thompson. I'm so excited to talk about this. Uh, well, one, I'm stoked Pitt got Key Thompson. And two, I'm very excited uh, that I get to talk about Ohio football and you two and everyone that listens to the show just have to sit there and take it. So um, my credentials... Ohio University 2018 grad of the Scripps School of Journalism. Uh, that's right. One of us has a journalism degree. Never would have guessed that. Uh, 
and I, I watch pretty much every OU game, Key Thompson jumps off the screen to you. When you're watching OU play, you notice number 38. You you see him, and you see that that guy makes a splash. He's a playmaker. Uh, he's averaged about 100 tackles over the last two years. Over the last two years, OU has won 20 games. So there's been a very reasonable uh, complaint, for lack of a better word, for from Pitt fans over this most recent transfer cycle, and it's you aren't going to rebuild this roster with FCS guys and MAC guys. And I, I completely agree. We might have signed one too many Western Carolina guys already. You, you can rebuild your roster with a Key Thompson. Um, he's all Mac. OU was top five in total defense in the country in the FBS last year. Uh, and he was one of the stars of that defense. And I know what you're saying. He played a lower level of competition and that's absolutely correct. The Mac is not the ACC. However, I can promise you he was playing better football last year than Bengali Kamara, than Shane Simon, than Solomon DeShields. We were led in tackles by a safety. And I, I'll just... I'll just leave it there. This is an upgrade at the line. This is not a rotational guy. This is, I think, very likely an upgrade at the linebacker position uh, unless we see a jump from those young guys from uh, Biles and uh, Jordan Bass. Yeah, Bass, Biles, and uh, Lovelace. Lovelace, yes, yes. So... Um, this is this is very good. This is a very good pickup. Do not let the Mac stigma, you know, make you fear or anything. First of all, I thought Solomon Shields was very solid last year, so that's some high praise. Other than that, yeah, sure, I hope so. I am in the camp of go. I'm not gonna say all out, but go after the very good lower-ish level guys. Yeah. If there's a great Mac guy, like the AAC, the the other non-Power 5 conferences, I'm all for taking a shot at a guy that puts up flashy numbers there. Maybe more so than a guy that kind of stunk and couldn't get on the field at a Power 5 level. So when I see a guy with over 100 tackles from the Mac, 10 times out of 10, take him. Yeah, I, I mean, and and Pitt fans just need to be honest. This is this is how we need to recruit the portal. The Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States, the Michigans, uh, the Blue Bloods, they recruit the portal by by taking stars from our tier. They recruit off of our rosters and take our stars, and that's just kind of how it's going to be until Pitt's able to jump up a tier. Teams like Pitt, teams in our tier, are going to get better in the portal by skimming the the cream off the top of the G5 level. And to a lesser extent, the FCS level, although apparently we have gone all in on that. Yeah, and, and then we'll, we'll get some leftovers from the Blue Bloods, like the Eli Holsteins, the guys who can't, can't cut it at Bama, Michigan. 
Georgia, those type of guys. But um, one other guy I did want to mention off of this list of commits is Raphael Williams. Um, he is another Western Carolina guy, but he spent the last year at San Diego State. Um, did not play for San Diego State. Do either of you have confirmation on why he did not play? Was it an injury? Uh, I th- I heard it was because it was his second transfer, and so he was ineligible. However, I don't. I have not heard what his first transfer was. Um. So I I just just speculation at this point. But yeah, he did not play at San Diego State. Um, and my only worry there is San Diego State is has been like a terrible offensive institution since Brady Hoke got there. So, yeah. Well, either way, uh, my first, like my first course of action anytime we get one of these guys is just to Google their name and find their stats. Uh, just to see what kind of numbers they put up. I was very excited when I saw, as a freshman, he had 73 catches, 959 yards, and nine touchdowns. Uh, I was very excited when I thought he did that at San Diego State. (laughs) Upon further review, he did it at Western Carolina. With that being said, that's still very impressive output, even at the FCS level for a freshman. Right. Uh, Then in 2022, he had a bit of a dip in production, 47s for 658 yards, six touchdowns. But either way, he was productive at that level. Um, so Cade Bell adding another familiar face and hopefully can can add some spark to that receiver room. So given what we've done so far, what what is left on your portal checklist for Coach Narduzzi and company to check off? Honestly, I mean, I think they've hit most of these spots. I know they landed... Desmond Reed. I was going to say maybe another running back, um, but you know that that room went two out, one in with Sebo and TJ Harvison leaving, uh, and Desmond Reed coming in. I guess we have Jewel's Goff coming in as in the freshman class, and by all accounts, he seems to be maybe a diamond in the rough that Pitt landed. Uh, Coach Narduzzi said, uh, you know, he he kept Goff, lost uh, Yassine Willis, and he said he kept the running back he wanted more. Yeah, so in typical Narduzzi fashion, had to throw a jab at a 17-year-old kid in his presser. But uh, I I think the the Holstein commit might be the, the bow that kind of wraps up this portal season. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a few guys float in and out, but for, for the most part, I think they, they added some areas of need and i think at this point you know they did a really good job of keeping the team together for the most part there wasn't the mass exodus that some of us feared the recruiting class stayed intact so if it if everything ended today um and i know there's some scholarship stuff that probably needs to be worked out with a few few other guys leaving but every if the dust settled today and we said this was it i'd I'd feel pretty good about where this offseason led us if I had to pick one position group to get another guy, it would be cornerback. Yeah. Seems like we only got one, and it was very early. Tamon Lynham from Nebraska. But maybe Pitt just feels good about the new guys. There's a group of guys there that have been getting reps uh, on the practice field watching Marquez, 
and MJ and AJ Woods play. So maybe they just feel pretty good about them and feel like they're ready to get some opportunity there. It's just scary putting guys out there with yeah. no experience in this defense. So if I had to pick one, to be that. Across the board elsewhere, seems to be some quality pickups. Better than, I guess, maybe we would have thought after the shit show it was. Yeah. You know, I, I agree, Squid. Need to go corner. Give me another uh, big boy in the trenches. I was thinking offensive line, but now that I say that out loud, I'd, I'd take another defensive lineman as well. well and we then, you know. Three, and I think the defensive line are our best acquisitions. We got oh yeah, Matt Lack from K-State, Nick James from Indiana, and David Ojigbe. Ojigba? I think it's Ojigba. Okay. We'll wait on Peak to give us a phonetic pronunciation. But yeah. I, I, Those so, might be our three best yeah. quality guys brought in and they're all on the defensive line. Okay. So you guess you had our defensive line. Key yeah. Well, yeah. Key Thompson, future all ACC, future all American Key Thompson. We're um, going to have to come up with something to where if he is good, Dylan and I will do something. But if he's bad, you get a punishment because well, you have a stake in this. Well, if he's if he's good, then Pitt has an awesome linebacker, something that they couldn't really boast last year, um, and that's good for all of us. Um, and if he's bad, you guys can just like I don't know, beat the shit out of me. Yeah, we'll say maybe it's like seventy-five or more tackles. We'll let you talk about OU for four minutes uninterrupted on an episode. Dylan, you don't you don't look too sure about what uh, Squid just offered up. I don't know. I I have already said too much about him being awesome, and at this point, I'm already questioning myself and uh, a little little worried about the uh, the the checks I've written so far. But no, he's he's great. Well, what's um, the worst that could happen? We hype up a linebacker a ton, and then he doesn't live up to it. Then he goes to South Carolina. <laughs> I guess I guess there's nothing I could say or do to hype up Key Thompson more than Chris Peak did Bengali Kamara two years in a row. Sorry, sorry, Chris. Um, and let's be real, uh, almost all of P- Panther Nation hyped him up. Yeah, look at him. Yeah, he he's a freak athlete. It just turns out you have to like know which hole to run to at some point to be a successful linebacker in the D1 level. Yeah. I I hope a change of scenery gives gives Bengali a new uh new results on the field. I'd like to see him ball out in that season. I want him to succeed. Yeah. Two time Loyal Suns golf outing attendee. I, I want him to succeed. I but I think we are justified. Maybe not like in being mad at him, but in just like being upset in general about the bill of goods we were sold. And then the, on the field product that on the field product, uh, two consecutive years, it was, it was frustrating for everyone, I think. Yeah. And once again, maybe just one of those situations where he needed a, a new start and it was time to, for him to move on. But we've talked a lot of football, for something for a season that's not going to happen for another eight months. And I'm sure some other 
news will come in through the portal. Um, but but I think we covered it pretty well. So we've got some hoops to talk. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about Jeff Cable's Panthers. Well, your Pitt basketball Panthers currently sit at 10 and 5 overall and 1 and 3 in the ACC. This past Saturday, they picked up their first ACC win over the terrible, horrible Louisville Cardinals um, in a game that was a little closer than I would have liked for, for the most part, but they did pull out the W. Um, so we're just going to do a quick State of the Union, where we stand on the program, where we stand on this team, their chances to make it to March Madness and to have a successful season. Uh, fellas, I'm just going to open the floor. It's all yours. Squid, it's all yours. I mean, we absolutely needed that win yesterday. It has been a a rough, rough winter stretch for Pitt. Things looked a little off against Purdue-Fort Wayne, but we thought, whatever. It's the week before Christmas. They'll turn it on for ACC play. But then they were out out of whack against Syracuse, and they could not hit a shot to save their lives against UNC. And before you know it, hey, we're nine and five. We got to start winning some basketball games, and the toughest part of our schedule is coming up. So, definitely needed it, but it's also Louisville, and I don't know if we can take anything from it because they're that bad. Didn't even cover. Didn't even cover. Yeah, the Louisville game. It, it was pretty frustrating to watch. Uh, despite them ultimately pulling away and winning by 13, it was there. It was more of the same issues, like just taking dumb shots, uh, not really able to guard anyone. I mean, they let Mike James for Louisville hit what six threes, and like there was back-to-back possessions where he gets open looks, and I'm like, that's the only guy who has a chance of keeping them in the game. Can we please guard him? Um, but yeah, it was it was a get-right game to a certain degree. Anytime you can go on the road in the ACC and win, even if it is a program down as down bad as Louisville is right now, uh, it's good to get in that win column, and I'm hoping it starts to propel them in the right direction. But this season went v- quickly from, oh, this is going to be a really fun year. This team can be really good to, all right, we have to figure it out right now or this will be an ugly winter um so the yeah i mean looking at the the two games prior to louisville the syracuse game i think that will be one that is going to sting for a while that's not one that i'm going to be able to easily put in the rear view mirror um that was a game that they were up by 11 points and then proceeded to shoot what what would it end up being 11 for 27 from the foul line uh, 11 for 24, something like that. If you even shoot just plain bad and not horrific from the free throw line, you have a chance to win that game. Um, so that I think that's the one that Jeff Capel has to be kicking himself over the most. And then the North Carolina game, honestly, I, that was a game. I actually went to that one uh, Tuesday night at the Pete. All the UNC fans made their way down from Cranberry. Uh brave brave the conditions the weather conditions to get down there um that was a game where i thought they actually played north carolina pretty well they defended them well uh, held them to one of their lowest scoring outputs of the season uh but also just happened to shoot 
what, five for 28 from three. Uh, at one point, they were three for 26. Blake Henson was one for 10 from three. Just an oddly bad shooting night from the perimeter. And it was, it really, if Blake can hit three of 10 and, and hits those in some timely moments, the game would have felt a lot different. But it just felt like anytime they got a good look, it was halfway down and popped out. So I wasn't as ups- I wouldn't have been nearly as upset after that game if they had gotten the win over Syracuse. But hey, can't change the results. They're they're sitting at one and three in the ACC, and their next three games are Duke, Syracuse, and Duke. So it's a mm. early but pivotal stretch for this team in in the ACC race. Are we cooked? Last year, I always compare it to last year because last year this team got off to a bad start, a worse start than this team did. Uh, and it didn't look like a tournament team early on, but they were 10 and 4. Both teams, it's like you overcome that. The difference is last year when the team was 10 and 4, they beat UNC and they beat Virginia back to back. They figured it out early enough to where they went on a run and won a lot in the ACC. I don't feel like we're any closer to solving the problems that we had when we faced Florida and Missouri. It's, it's the still the same thing. Like Carrington and Lowe still have their moments. I really like Lowe a lot as of late. But as a team, they just don't know. Like they, they know what to do. Whenever Blake Ensign isn't hitting six or seven threes a game. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. You look at the the Syracuse game and the UNC game back-to-back, and Blake has two of his worst outings that he's had. Um, And, I mean, it's basketball. If your worst player, or I'm sorry, if your best player has his worst games, you probably aren't going to win. And that's especially true with this team. I don't think they have the firepower behind Blake. I mean, Bub's an amazing talent, uh, but he is still a freshman. He's still learning on the fly. They get basically nothing offensively from Will Jeffress, and they get basically nothing from Zach Austin like 50% of the time. And then he has a game like Louisville where he scores 20 points. So it's there's not a ton of room for error in the Blake Henson department. If he if he's not playing well, yeah, and I think you can notice that he presses a lot. You could, and say I think he needs because, to to a degree. Yeah. It's like he's trying to do too much, but at the same time, if no one else is taking charge and stepping up, he's probably like, "Well, it's got to be me, right? I'm the best player on the team," uh, and that just really hasn't worked. So. Hopefully they can take something to the Louisville game. I know Ish Leggett still might not play against Duke. Not great. But they got to figure things out real quick. And they don't have many opportunities for these hiccups, learning experiences, cold spells. Because before you know it, you're going to be out of contention. Are our bigs all bad i actually think guillermo offensively has been pretty awesome um 
I think he's averaging since he was inserted in the starting lineup around 11 points a game, uh, which isn't all American material, but he's also, you don't need him to be. Yeah. I mean, he's about 53% from the field, 38% from three in, in that time frame or for the season actually. So, I mean, he adds a, a bit of, you know, a dynamic that not everyone has a seven footer who can step out and shoot it. Um, I, I worry about him defensively. He's despite the the weight they put in on in the off season, they they still tend to get pushed around. They being the twins, um, and we still have a missing persons alert on on Federico. Federico, I don't know who they replaced him with this season, but he continues to be very disappointing after what we saw in the second half of last season. So um, that's another thing where it's like. If Fetty can kind of figure it out like he did last year and even get back to close to that form, that that kind of changes things a, a good bit. But, I mean, we're about halfway through the regular season at this point, and that, the guy we saw last year is just nowhere to be found. Um, so, I mean, we're recording this on Monday. They've got Duke tomorrow night, They've and then they have Syracuse at home the following week, and then they go down to Duke. Uh, the following Saturday. So I think you have to steal one of these two from Duke. And realistically, the one you're more likely to get is the home game. Not too often you're going to travel down to Cameron in the door and, and get one over them, especially with the Tobacco Road referees coming mm. in and uh, giving you some of the hometown treatment. So Still I think- pissed about the Confederacy and the fall of Richmond. Of course. So I, I think you have to steal one of these, not only because you'd be dropping two out of three games, but also Pitt needs a resume win right now. They, Like we said earlier, they really haven't beaten anyone all that good. I mean, their Power 5 wins are over Oregon State, West Virginia, Louisville. Um, am I missing anything there? No, I think those are all their wins over... I didn't Power realize... Five they had three wins over power conference teams. Yeah, but that's where they stand right now. And all those teams are pretty bad. So pretty lower level, bottom of the barrel power conference teams at this point. So uh, they could desperately use a resume win and, and a win over Duke. That's a, you know, we, we look at the schedule and we're like, it's a bit of a gauntlet, but that's part of the blessing of playing against teams like this every year is you, you have an opportunity to, when March comes around, it's like, well, they beat this Duke team who's actually going to be a three seed. So uh, tomorrow night's big. It's a 9 p.m. Tuesday tip. Those should be banned, but we have it. I'll be staying up for it. And uh, it, it would be, I would say it, it could be a potentially season-changing win if they could pull it off. Let's do it. Speaking of uh, games that are going to end way past our bedtimes, I know it's going to happen in an hour, and by the time we publish this, the game will be over. Forget it. You know, let's let's sound dumb to the people. Do you guys have any picks for the national championship tonight? For the what time the game's going to end, or who's going to win? Oh, both. Mini mini sports book. I am rooting for Washington. And I think any anyone who doesn't who didn't grow up in Ann Arbor, graduated from Michigan, painted their room 
uh, maize and gold when they were a child. Uh, anyone who doesn't fall into those categories or doesn't have a huge future on Michigan has to be rooting for Washington. They're you representing know, I- the Pac-12, a, a conference that is being decimated by the disgusting new world of college football. Uh, and they're like the coolest team we've seen in, since at least since Joe Burrow's LSU team. You know, I heard even some kids who did paint their rooms maize and blue growing up are financially and emotionally invested in Washington. So interesting. Roll Huskies. I really, really want Washington to win. So I'm going to reverse mush and say I think Michigan wins 30 to 21. I also, the, I was talking about this game over the weekend, and it feels like, especially for the last two games, it's like the Pac-12 championship. Oregon was nine and a half point favorites over Washington. And, I, and despite Washington beating them earlier in the year, it's like, uh, yeah, Oregon's probably going to roll. It's like, are they? And then they were underdogs to Texas, and they came into that game, and everyone was like, uh, I don't know. I think Texas just has too many athletes all over the field. They're they're going to overwhelm Washington, and that didn't happen either. And now I feel like once again, every national talking head, everyone talking about the game is like Michigan's just going to be too big and powerful, and they're just going to roll right over Washington. So that with that trend continuing, I feel like Washington might just come out and Penix will look awesome again, and. They're just going to throw the ball all over the field tonight. Dylan predicting a Washington win might be the death sentence for them. But fuck it. I'm pulling a Lee Corso head switch. I'm not picking a Big Ten school on the pod. Washington 34, Michigan 9. We're in bed at halftime at (laughs) 11.32 p.m. Eastern time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm so big on Washington, man. I've been I've been a Penix guy since the immaculate extension against Penn State. Um I have been the foremost Pac twelve in Washington guy since before the season started, and you guys can vouch for me on that. Squid and I got into a couple arguments when I said the Pac twelve was the best conference in football. Um I accept your apology in the form of a uh, pro Washington prediction. Um, Listen, Washington has what, like five or six ranked wins this year. And that's not even counting the games where their opponent was ranked when they played and aren't anymore. And they were underdogs and like a shocking amount of those as Dylan alluded to this team just keeps like, like, just outgunning teams. And, you know, they say defense wins championships, but part of me just doesn't think that matters in college. If you have a generational offense, you can simply just outscore teams. They Michigan might run for eight yards a carry tonight, and I don't know if it matters. Washington, 41. Michigan, 24. I think, I think Washington's going to boat race them. Should we stop now before we embarrass ourselves? And the game ends at 3 a.m. 
No, this is way funnier this way when people listen. To oh, yeah. Um, the first eight-hour college football game. Dude, I'm predicting a Blake Corum, like, hyper-extended knee. It's, like, backwards. He just carted off the field in the first quarter. And then they cut to half an hour of commercials. Yeah. Three picks from J.J. McCarthy. What time did that last game end? It had. It was like after one a.m. Right? Or it was, it was like twelve fifty-five. Yeah. I mean, that one kicked off at like nine. I was asleep. All I know is this trend of having the college national championships. I mean, they did the same thing. Like the basketball national championship tipped off at like nine thirty last year. Can we please just stop? East Coast people have it hard enough. All right, it's cold and snowy and disgusting in Pittsburgh. I mean, we had to scratch and claw our way into the playoffs. I would love to just watch a football game and be in bed at a reasonable time to get up for work tomorrow. Why why are they why is the championship on Monday in the first place? I think having, NFL, I think the NFL just decided that they wanted to take Saturday and Sunday. So, but having a Saturday college football national championship played in Pasadena, California is the biggest no brainer ever, but the NCA, the college football playoff and the Rose bowl committee are just too far up their own asses to let it happen. I was told that the first down rule would shorten games. I was lied to. I like how with the last college football game of the year, we're just letting all, all of it out, everything off our chest. Anything else you don't like about college football? The the Big Ten is part of it. I don't know. Kind of sucks the team that's probably going to win had the biggest cheating allegations facing them for most of the season. It is, not to take us on a whole other thing, but it is so wild watching it's it is going to be wild watching a game knowing there's a 50% chance it gets vacated like if michigan wins it's getting vacated it's like it's i think a foregone conclusion this national championship will not count and it hasn't even happened yet college football at its finest i love it so much man i'm going to miss it well have fun watching the game tonight, fellas. Maybe set your DVR if if you think you'll fall asleep before before they can wrap up the third quarter. Um, thanks for tuning in. We're glad to be back. Going to get back on the train here. Putting out shows consistently. And, um, yeah. Beat Duke. Beat Duke tomorrow night at the Pete. Show up and show out. Tip isn't until 9 p.m., so if you need to sleep in a little bit tomorrow after the National Championship, you can do that. As always, hail loyal sons of Pittsburgh. Please win, Huskies. And that's going to do it here for the Loyal Sons Show. The incredibly handsome and talented Dylan, David, and Squid are signing off. Until next time, Panther fans, H2P.